Welcome back to Normies Like Us, the podcast that reminds you it's hip to be square. We continue our journey into the wizarding world of Normie podcasts and band together to take back our school. It's Harry Potter and the Potter franchise on Normies Like Us. He's got Padfoot at the place where it's hit. What is Padfoot? Well, what is he? What is he talking about, Sniff? No, it's a storm coming, Harry. Sorry, Professor. I must not tell lies. Welcome back to Normies Like Us. The podcast reminds you it's hip to be square. As you heard up top, we're back for a fifth installment. That's right. We're still talking Harry Potter and our months-long adventure through Potter Vember. Nope, I blew it, Mike. Sorry. Pot Harry Vember. Harry Vember, Pot Sembers. Fantastic January is where to find that. That's right. Hey, that's great, buddy. Uh, I'm leaning on you this episode because we're two hosts down, but uh, we're here, your special hosts on Normies Like Us, um, Colin Bulldore. Professor Mike Conigal. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and very happy to say we've got a extra special, incredible, super Harry Potter guest here, my stepsister. We're talking to Allie. Hello, everyone. Hello. It's uh, Ali Shacklebolt here. Um, Thank you. I am a big fan of the podcast. And as Colin knows, I am a huge Harry Potter fan. So very thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I'm going to, you know, guys, I'm going to take a backseat on this one. On this podcast, I love to talk. I love to ramble. I love to take up listeners' times. But uh, we've got such a good expert here with Ali. And Mike, little announcement. You know, the last couple Harry Potter episodes yeah. we've done, we kind of hit your 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 ending, but dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So, yeah, I said on Goblet of Fire, that's the last book I read. So for this one, I was like, oh, I'll probably just listen to the audio book, not realizing that it's the longest Harry Potter book. But I did finish the audio book, uh, so it's kind of my first reading, quote unquote. You know, we call our listeners readers, so you know what we're talking about. So yeah, I actually uh, watched the movie and read the book for the first time, quote unquote, Oh my read God, so what I'm a little excited. book club what? we've got going here. And Allie, how about you? Are you not only caught up with the podcast, have you been watching along, but are you reading the books at the moment as well? Well, it's funny you say that. Um, I am one of the more Potter nerds that I actually read the books about every two years, the entire series. <laughs> so I've read the seventh book probably five or six times. I read the first book probably wow. in the teens. Wow. Um, so I'm one of those people. Yeah. So I did. Um, so I was already reading the books by the time you guys started this series. So I was so excited. Um, and I was actually on the fourth book when you all started. Uh, so I've just been able to go along and I did finish the fifth book and the fifth movie in time for today. So Oh my Ready god. To go. oh, that's perfect. absolutely incredible. Just <laughs> incredible. the perfect podcast, the perfect setup. Uh you asked to do this one. This is this is kind of your favorite one as well. It is. Yes. I feel like I might be the guest with the unpopular opinions, but <laughs> this is my favorite book. Um <laughs> We'll see how people react, but uh it's just so intricate. It's that's there obviously JK Rowling builds up a lot and starts setting up these plot points as you go back through them. But uh, this one, you really get to see the view into the wizarding world outside of Hogwarts, too, which is just so neat. So, 
Yeah, it certainly does go. I think she even has said the reason it's long is they had to take Harry to a lot of places outside of Hogwarts. And that's a big part of how do you get him there and this and that. And uh, on that note, uh, Joe and Jacob are out on official ministry business. So they will be back in the future. But uh, it's top secret. Hush, hush. The uh, unspeakable, uh, let's say. That's a good way we'll to We'll catch them next time. But very excited, uh, Allie, to have you. And uh, we don't mind unpopular or hot takes for sure. So No, and I good. want the rest of your Potter stuff. Now, uh, you know, with our other guests, we have asked things like, have you done the Potter more? Are you sorting the houses? What's your Patronus? Allie, I, I just feel like you just have like an entire Potter history. Like, I want to know, like, at what year do you think you became a prefect in your Potter world? Like, like what is what is the course? What did you score on your owls, Allie? I want to know that. Oh, outstanding all the way, obviously. <laughs> no, no. Um, no, I mean, I am uh, very much a big nerd. I um, So I did start reading the books first. Um, and then uh, I actually, I remember my mom trying to get my brother and me to read the first book. And we just, for some reason, we just weren't really digging it. And then the first movie came out a couple months before my 11th birthday. And I just fell in love. And then I realized it was the book that my mom was trying to read. And, uh, you know, being right close to turning 11, I was like, where's my letter? Um, it sadly <laughs> did not come. Yes. But I have loved the books ever since, read them all, and uh, often went to the midnight releases for the books and the movies. Um, I mean, just to kind of give you some demonstrations, I have a um, sign in my office that says, uh, study like a Granger, eat like a Weasley, live like a Potter. Um, Amazing. I, my dog, her name is Luna, off of oh, Luna Lovegood. So cute. Yeah, so oh, I, I, I am a raven claw, and she is a raven paw. I actually have a little <laughs> bandana for her. <laughs> That's um, wonderful. Yes. Get this and sorting then, hat on my dog here. Perfect. Right? Oh, it's perfect. I think the epitome of it, and this also tells you a little bit about my husband, too, because he's also a big nerd. He's very into mm -hmm. Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And so at our wedding, um, one of my favorite pictures is we got wands for all the bridesmaids and uh, lightsabers for all the groomsmen and so we have a battle picture of the witches versus the jedis um, amazing oh my god that's incredible yes. i mean jedi have been described as space wizards yeah. and we do I, maybe not we i find myself comparing the harry potter movies to star wars as much as possible um throughout this series but that is very excellent i too identify as ravenclaw so i potter it up so good to be in the same I got my smarties on this yes. podcast. I'm very happy for this episode. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, Raven Paw. That is that is incredible. Thank you. Yes, she's very yes. cute. <laughs> Amazing. Well, this is the order of the podcast episode. You know, normies, if you haven't realized by now, again, the fifth book, longest book, shortest movie, weirdly, right? So maybe now is the time to just dive right into the order of the Phoenix. Normies like us. We're back. We're doing a special shout out to the Normies Like Us Army. Obviously, you you formed in the wake of this podcast. You want to protect us. Um, your hosts, I mean, the other two hosts, Mike, they've been driven out of Dumbledore, of, uh, of uh, <laughs> Hogwarts like us here, Army. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Official ministry business, um, I'm telling you. Of course, because we've got, unfortunately, an Umbridge here taking over, but we're fighting mm. back, Normies Like Us Army, and uh, we're here. We're talking the book. We're talking the movie. I always throw these on right before we do these records. Mike, I was very shocked to what you said, that it was the shortest one. 
I threw it on right before this. I was like, "Ooh, I've got like an hour to kill still. Uh, a nice, a nice brisk pace on this bad boy." Yeah, and I have to say, it was the meme was longest book, shortest movie until Deathly Hollows Part Two, which is like ten minutes shorter. So that's not a hundred percent true, and I cannot tell lies. So I had to correct myself uh, with that earlier statement. But one, the second shortest movie for the longest book. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, kind of not my favorite. So, Allie, I'm going to throw it over to you. Why? Why are we talking this one today? Why do you love this book in particular? And do you like the movie? How does it stack up book to page or page to screen? No, I mean, that's a great question. The movie, I forgot how rushed it is because it does jump through. I will say that the set design on this movie is just spectacular because you really do feel like you're in the world, um, particularly when you're in the ministry itself. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, this movie, this book, I should say, gets a lot of flack because everyone's just against Harry being so angsty. And, you know, I have to say, let's go back to when we were all 15. Who was not an (laughs) angsty little jerk at that age, right? Um, but you know, kind of thinking about where he leaves off, uh, at the end of Goblet of Fire, he just saw the death of Cedric and then he goes back to the muggle world where he is itching for any piece of news that he can get. You know, the, the first chapter starts with him sitting underneath the flower bed against the open window so he can listen to the muggle news, mm-hmm. trying to hear if there's been any killings. And, you know, he's just left so in the dark after he witnesses his tragedy. So he has to not only process this death, but you know, basically get left in the dark. Who wouldn't be angsty after that? Yeah, I I hear you there because this being my first time reading it, it's like we just did Goblet of Fire, Cedric has just died. And then he's going back to what is basically an abusive home, right? Where he's, you know, put down all the time and kind of pushed aside by the Dursleys. And he has his friends can't even write him real letters because Dumbledore is saying that you can't really give any information about what's going on because it's sensitive. So he is feeling super isolated and probably dealing with like, you know, PTSD over Cedric's death and Voldemort's return. And yeah, like I understand one being 15 plus going through kind of that trauma. Like I, I do not um, get upset. I get upset with Harry a little bit, but I don't blame him. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yes. And I mean, to go through all those things and then you go through the rest of the year where he's dealing with all these rumors, he gets kicked off the Quidditch team, which that's completely taken out of the movies, Mm -hmm. too. Um, You know, he's not chosen as a prefect, also taken out of the movies, Mm -hmm. uh, dealing with a lot of things. And yeah, I can understand his uh, teenager temper or temper tantrums. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, simply put, this is the Umbridge movie, right? She comes in, Mm -hmm. takes over and kind of basically ruins Hogwarts for the students and particularly Harry kind of taking anything that he enjoys about that world. And now it's stripped away. Like you said, Quidditch, the classes aren't fun, you know, Hagrid, like all this stuff happens. Harry loses everything that made the school comfortable. And he really, like Luna says in the movie, I can't remember the book, but if I was the Dark Lord, I would want to make you feel isolated and alone. And that is exactly what's happening here. That is so perfect. Well, look at Dumbledore. Won't even look at him. Uh, Is this the Mm -hmm. darkest? Is this the lowest point Harry Potter kind of ever faces in the series, this entire novel? I, I think it's close. I also think, I mean, not to jump um, episodes, but when they're in the seventh book and they're in the forest after Ron leaves, that may be the darkest too. But yeah, I think this is a pretty close point where basically it feels like the whole world is against him. Yeah. And, and full spoiler warning, Normies, obviously all these have been, but I'll say it out loud. Uh, we're going to be talking about everything, uh, book and movie, but yeah, this is really dark. The world certainly is against him. And again, this is that teenage era where you have 
everyone's been angsty, right? And had like moments where you feel like no one understands you, right? And um, they're rebelling against the power structure in this movie and this book, you know, against the school, right? So there's a lot of that kind of teenage rebellion in here too. And um, building off kind of the growing up and stuff that we saw in Goblet. So I do like, as everyone says, we were the same age as the heroes and we identify with them. It seems to be the trend, um, but more of that. And I actually, I really enjoyed this book um, considering it's my first time reading it. And it, Hey, it, happy so to hear. It could be one of my favorites. Yeah, that's what I'll say. Colin, how do you... Good news though for mm. uh, next week's episode. The next one is shorter. So <laughs> Yeah, hey, now the go. hard parts <laughs> out of the way. Exactly. Um, got through the, the owls and now I got to study for newts though. Colin, how do you feel about <laughs> this, uh, movie book overall, the, the order of the Phoenix? Uh, just, uh, you know, again, I, I just really don't have a memory of the book too much at this point. I kind of talked in the last episode how I'm sort of walking away at this point, kind of feeling too cool for school, even though, you know, I was joking with Allie off podcast, our, our family history of it all was we used to go on vacations, Mike, and literally like take like boat tours where people were like, Hey, you know, off the schooner, like watch the coast, watch the water break. No, I mean, it was nose in Harry Potter book, like combing through and trying to kill it in one sitting, like Jacob was saying last week. Oh, man. Um, but I don't know. Like it's, this is, this is for some reason the movie I remember the least. Uh, and I think it's because of the top and the bottom. I think really, you know, we've talked a lot about J.K. Rowling as a structure. She's incredible in her writing with the breadcrumbs. Uh, this is the one where she really embraces her. Whatever happens at the top, we're going to show it at the, the end. Harry has to go to the Ministry of Magic in the first act because in the third act, we're going to have our final battle there. And I don't really like the ending and beginning, but all the stuff in the middle, I do kind of dig, like all the umbrage and stuff. But it does feel rushed and it does feel fast with the movie. Um, David Yates, obviously we should point out this is his first film and he kind of takes over the franchise from here on out. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. The first and continue. Yeah. Another new director, basically. Um, I wonder with Yates because he just did the rest of them, did the previous directors maybe have more ambition to do stuff later. And then Yates kind of coming from smaller projects is like, I could just stay here on autopilot and just do Harry Potter. That's great for me. I mean, because Alfonso Cuaron and, you know, namely I kind of, went on to do a lot of very interesting things. So with Yates too, I, I mean, yes, he does take over and he does, he does fantastic beasts too, doesn't he? I believe he stayed he on. Does, he does. He yeah. does both. Yeah. And so I wonder at this point too, if he almost, because this movie, you know, has condensed such a large book, if he almost like went to JK Rowling and like, what are the parts that you absolutely need to make the next movies? Like, what could I not cut out? Um, Cause mm. I feel like that's almost how they, made some of this script because it does move just so quickly yeah i think there was even conversations with like there was things that were going to cut and jk had been farther enough ahead on the books they could be like oh you probably shouldn't remove creature completely from the movie because in later books you know so i think there were some of those notes being passed along as well and uh yeah, yeah, but just so many missed shots. We talked so much about the treatment of Sirius Black from page to screen on these past couple episodes. This is the one where you're like, look, if we're going to end things the way we're going to end things, we should really hammer home the relationship between them. Or if we've teased Snape as the good guy, bad guy, double agent, let's do something with that. Shouldn't he finally be a character? And it feels like that happens in these movies, but it feels like too little too late. Yeah, do you have any thoughts about the ser- treatment of Sirius, let's say, for example, movie versus book in this, Allie? I 
would say that with the movie, I do think, yes, they tried to, they build up the most relationship with Sirius in this one, but it's also the most FaceTime that Harry actually gets in the books with him too. Um, and I, you know, he struggles with trying to offer the order for his house, um, but not being able to do much since his disguise is known. Uh, yeah, he's but like I, under I house think... arrest, right? He, he's mm-hmm. really dealing with that kind of thing. Right, yeah, because since Peter Pettigrew got out, you know, um, then Voldemort knows that he's an unregistered Animagus, and so he can't even use the Padfoot disguise very much, too. And even the one time he does, when he takes um, Harry to um, uh, the Hogwarts Express, mm-hmm. he gets seen by Lucius Malfoy, too. And so he's, like, lost his uh, second identity, basically. Yeah, which is Colin knows I have issues with the third movie because even though they kind of hint at it, I feel like they did not do the proper reveal of the Marauders map and Padfoot prongs, uh, Mooney and Wormtail uh, justice. And so um, even right. And even when you get to the scene, um, well, I'm jumping ahead, but when you get to the scene where Harry's uh, practicing occulency with Snape and then he goes into Snape's memory and sees Snape being bullied. You know, I feel like that doesn't quite pack the same punch as if you know the history with the four of them, too. Yeah, yeah. And that was a big point Jacob brought up is that the core group, you know, the, who created the Marauders map and, you know, with James and Sirius and them, that didn't get built up. And then we kind of see this flashback and it really doesn't have as much impact. And even the, the general reveal, like where Harry kind of accidentally does it in the movie versus, you know, Snape is purposefully taking out these memories and putting them um what's what's the device called um oh the the pensive in the pensive Pensive. right so it's like he's hiding memories Mm -hmm. that he wouldn't want harry to see and harry kind of sticks his nose where it doesn't belong and i like the idea of snape consciously trying to kind of hide these things too which gets lost oh i agree yeah because i I mean that's sorry can i ask you a super potter question Allie? now snape is he also a Lega Lemons? What, what, what do you call those? One of the mind-reading ones that they introduce in Fantastic Beasts? Oh, you mean... Um, well, he has, like, he has the ability. He's practiced the Legimens, which so has Dumbledore. But that's one of the um, things they don't focus on too much in the movie. They talk about it more at the end of the book when they kind of tie everything together. They don't... Um, uh, because Voldemort's supposed to be trained in it too. Okay. Uh, but, I'm just yeah, why but they didn't. So good at all this stuff, right? And you wonder too if Snape had to do it almost out of necessity for survival, since he was playing the double agent. Oh, very true. Um, yeah, but with Dumbledore, he didn't want Harry to do it in case there was that connection, and he didn't want Voldemort to have, you know, um, kind of more information about Dumbledore than he needed. Mm-hmm. Which did you did you all notice that I didn't realize it till I watched the movie this time around? But you know, Hermione says Voldemort's name kind of for the first time, and um, in the Hogshead, and then you know, in the book, everyone's just shocked that she said it, and she even stutters over it like v- Voldemort, and you know, everyone's just aghast, yeah. and like nobody reacts in the movie. Right. Like, I think there's a lot, I, I, because that's the thing too. In the book, it's always like, and everyone's super shocked. And even in yeah. Goblet of Fire, Harry's just running around saying Voldemort, Voldemort. No one is, no one is ever freaking out in class or anything. It's like, oh, that's, he just always says it. That's Harry. Like in the movies, no one is as shocked as I think it's described as in the, in the book for sure. Um, and with Snape, you don't, you miss out. Let's say looking at the the pensive and stuff, like the Lily stuck up for him. And then he still 
called her a mudblood. You know, like he was, she was standing up for Snape and he still treated her poorly. You know, so right? you don't get the full redemption, you know, but none of that is translated in what we see on screen. No, I completely agree. And um, you learn later that uh, Snape and Lily kind of grew up together, too, even before Hogwarts. And right. and so that um, kind of leads into their relationship. Why would Lily be so protective for Snape? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so definitely the, the emotional weight of that does carry it's heavier in the book, I guess. And that's going to be a big theme because there is so much here. Um, and even things where we're looking at Umbridge's takeover, you know, probably my favorite villain of a Harry Potter movie. She's so easy to hate. Was, what are your thoughts on her? Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I think I hate her more than Voldemort. Oh She's just God. so evil and it's just so beautifully crafted. And she hides behind all these decrees. Well, that's kind of what I was saying before, Allie, to where the meat of it all, right? You almost want the final confrontation in this movie to be Harry versus Umbridge, opposed to Voldemort just showing up at the end and kind of doing some tricks and having a duel with Dumbledore just because, obviously, we've paid Ray Fines and he's a big star and we got to have him show up in this movie at some point. Like, come on. <laughs> No, that's a good point, too. Um, but on the other end, you know, the reason why Umbridge is there in the first place is to silence Harry from the fact that um, Voldemort is back. And so having that big reveal at the end, too, to show that everything he had been saying for the last year, everything Dumbledore had been saying um, was true. And the world is just shocked. Yeah, yeah. And Umbridge, yeah, I think that's the time to focus on her kind of arc and everything. You know, she reveals that she sent the Death Eaters to attack Harry, you know, because she was like, no one in the ministry was, or no one in the order or whatever was willing to um, do what needed to be done to keep Harry quiet. So whether it was sending the Death Eaters, you know, whatever. And she even mentions in the trial, like, are you suggesting that someone in the ministry sent the Dementors? Like, you know, trying to throw them off the scent right away, uh, which is mm -hmm. nice when you go back with that knowledge and, and look at it again. Um, yes. But she is no, I think the worst. I'm sorry. Yes, I think that point in the book, it's it's sad that that didn't get make it into the movie necessarily. But uh, yeah, where she admits to just how much um, she despises Harry and um, his attacks against the ministry as she interprets them um, to go to that length of sending Dementors after him. Yeah. I also, she's like so thirsty for fudge. <laughs> she is the mouthpiece of Fudge, obviously a stand-in, like a press secretary. If Jacob was here, he would want us to point out these obvious political parallels now. But it kind of is astounding that you can watch people be like, no, everybody else is wrong. And we're the ones who are right. And we're the party of law and order. And everything we do is, you know, wizard lives matter. And you're just like, like everybody else could see that you are just dripping evil. Obviously, you're backing the guy called he who shall not be named. You are the bad guys here. Um, yeah, yeah. Real, the, the fake just news beautiful. arc for real. Yeah, that's like yeah. a big thing is, you know, media control and how the message gets distorted. And that's another thing too. Harry is, you know... He thinks, you know, with Cedric dying, like, wow, you know, at least at least we have proof that Voldemort's back and people are going to take this seriously. And he's just completely dismissed. And so is Dumbledore. So like that adds to kind of the stress that we mentioned earlier, you know, and it's uh, that whole cycle brings me to and I want to ask Allie kind of on the whole um, media control in the wizarding world too. like the quibbler. It's totally cut out of the movie. And I, I really like this arc. So I don't know what your thoughts are about kind of the message getting obscured and everything like that. 
No, I agree. I really enjoyed that part of the book because it also um, explains the Rita Skeeter angle too from Goblet of Fire where you learn that she's an unregistered animagus. She turns into a beetle. And so Hermione kind of has this hold over her. And, um, you know, they partner with Luna because her father, um, Xenophilius, I'm pretty sure that's his yeah, name. Xenophilius, yeah. Amazing. Yes, uh, Lovegood, <laughs> um, runs the Quibbler. He's the editor. And, and maybe only uh, employee, who, who knows, but he's right. the editor. Right? <laughs> See, yeah, that's the way I was interpreting that as well. <laughs> uh, so, um, but yes, you know, you, you do have a lot of the imagery that seems to be playing out today with the fake news. Um, I do, will say, though, um, because I feel like you miss some of it because, um, you know, in the books, Hermione is getting the daily profit. And so that's how she's getting these updates or updating them. But David Yates using the daily profit and the headlines to kind of help transition between scenes and help continue to build the story. I thought that was very clever. This movie really hits that the most. I did like that aesthetic as well. The amount of montage is at an all-time high in the Harry Potter series with this movie, and they're very. And I love seeing like what has become a trope in cinema: the old, uh, the newspaper, you know. But it's right. the Wizarding newspaper Headline. So it feels fresh. Yeah, it, it feels. Yeah. Killer wizard escapes. Um, yeah, yeah and we've got some cool additions. We see in one of those headlines: Bellatrix Lestrange, Helena Bonham Carter. Um, mm-hmm. What Born a cool addition! Small, mm-hmm. born to play this role, Mike. Small mm-hmm. part right now, but we're going to see her come out just swinging the next couple. Very excited to see her develop. Yeah, if I can quickly touch on the uh, the Rita Skeeter thing, too, just quickly before we move off the news. Um, I just really wish they would have set that up a little bit in the previous movie, because that's one of my favorite things that they do in the book, is Harry telling his story to the tabloid, essentially, and that being the place where the truth starts to get out. It's like, oh man, when we take the National Enquirer more seriously than the Wall Street Journal, what kind of world are we living in? And that's exactly what ends up happening here. And it also shows shades of Hermione having maybe an interesting sense of justice, you know, because she's kind of blackmailing Rita, using that, obviously, for like a good cause in this, but also like trying to trick house elves into picking up hats now when they said they didn't (laughs) want help. And she's trying to trick them into freedom. Very kind of questionable stuff with Hermione. And it's not in the movie. No, I agree. And, you know, when you watch Hermione in the movies versus in the book, a lot of people question why is she not in Ravenclaw? Because she's obviously the brightest Mm -hmm. witch of her time um, or for her age. But knowing what she does in the book with Spew, which she starts in the fourth book and then knitting these hats to, you know, unknowingly or knowingly trying to free some of the house elves and Hogwarts. And, you know, you just see how courageous she actually is and how much she's willing to push the rules a little bit. Mm. Um, And so I feel like the book better demonstrates why she truly is a Gryffindor. Yeah. And even her idea of like, we need to create a class for defense against the dark arts. You know, Harry, you're going to be the teacher, but we need to do this. That's kind of... She has agency in creating even DA, um, which is cool to see. Um, so, yeah, now that that's our good girl. We can go back to now the bad girl, Bellatrix, Helen Bottom Carter. I love her. <laughs> well, I didn't remember yeah. any of that, Mike. Um, and, yeah, and you know, book. this this movie does do our girl a little better. I liked uh, Hermione's arc in this. Ron, kind of in the backseat, his whole story is just like, are you sure, Harry? Are you sure? Is everything okay? No. And Harry just kind of lashing out at him. I'll defend Harry for just a sec, Mike, before we go back to Bellatrix and Mm -hmm. say, you know, like you guys said up top, this is the one. I mean, all the others, all the other books, truly the only argument has been, you're special, Harry. You're kind of the star of the story. You've lost some people before you were born. 
That's trauma, but it's inherited trauma. Here he really is dealing with the PTSD of Cedric dying. I mean, he's got stuff to lash out for, so I, I do like his story in this. But when he is chasing Bellatrix at the end, I'm like, you fucking idiot, stop, you're gonna die. Oh, but he's trying to Crucio. There's some shades of gray here. How do you how do you feel about we talked a little bit about Harry, but yeah, let's let's look at this a little bit broader, Ali, you know. He does go through a lot, and what do you think about kind of zooming in a little bit on his his arc through this this story? Well, you guys have touched on this in the last couple podcasts where he basically is losing every single parental figure um, Mm -hmm. in his life. And, you know, Sirius is really the straw that breaks the camel's back. And, you know, he um, I think it's um, in the in the movie with Sirius, there's that scene where they're talking about the tapestry with the family history. And they he tells them, you know, there's good and bad in every single person. It's what you act on. And so you can see Harry leaning a little bit on that bad side, but because of the amount of pain he's in. Um, So I think Mm. I think that, you know, is exhibited nicely. And he's reaching out to Dumbledore Alley. It's just that he is not taking that hand. It's a very purposeful distancing that is happening kind of from this point on. Right. I mean, Jacob argued earlier that maybe that was Dumbledore's grand plan, but it really seems like he's keyed into now. I might have to sacrifice this kid. Maybe I stop interacting with this kid. Oh, man, that could, I didn't really look at those shades. Cause we do get the explanation of Dumbledore later, but um, that sense of like isolation and like feeling there's no one to reach out to, especially as he's losing teachers who are in the order, his kind of support system due to Umbridge. It's like he has to, and this is part of what Voldemort's planning, it's like he feels like he has to act. His hero complex, let's say, is kind of what's being brought up. And we keep talking about how he's the chosen one or, you know, he, you know he's... He has it too easy just coincidentally by main character syndrome. But like this book is taking that and making it like a character flaw that Voldemort is trying to exploit. Like, I know he's going to try to save Sirius if I plant this vision in his head. And because he has no support system around him, he has no choice. And that's kind of what ends up happening. Yeah, and he exploits it very successfully. And um, going back a little bit, though, too, with Harry kind of losing all these parental figures, you know, the last one being Dumbledore purposely distancing himself, um, you know, and the book does a really interesting job of this when uh, you're looking at the relationship between Molly Weasley and Sirius, Um because and I think part of this stems from the Percy drama, which is left out too. like Percy basically mm-hmm. rejecting the family because he's on the side of the ministry. He doesn't believe Harry. Um, but, you know, Molly Weasley clinging so closely to Harry, treating him as one of her sons as well. Um, and so he's losing um, many of these um, parental figures, but still has the Weasleys to fall back on. Yeah, yeah. And. I was thinking about that, Allie. You know, these are, we talked about how they're kind of holiday movies in the past. One of the big holiday elements that they really didn't seem to continue past the first one that I always miss in every one is those Christmas gifts every year. They all get a sweater with their first initial on it. Harry starts getting one pretty much from the beginning. And, you know, he doesn't understand this, but we as readers or viewers or whatever know, buddy. That means you've been adopted by this family. You don't know it, but you do have a home or people who are looking out for you. So, yeah, they kind of I wonder if that is purposeful, Allie, if it's like, no, we need him to be a little lower. Mm -hmm. 
No, absolutely. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, and we get, you know, the the explanation to everyone would always bring up, well, why doesn't Harry just live with the Weasleys during the off season? Why does he have to go live with the Dursleys? And we get the explanation that doesn't make it into the movie where it's Lily's bloodline that protected him from Voldemort. So Petunia is related to Lily. Therefore, if he's staying at her house or in close proximity to her, he's protected from Voldemort. And that's why he had to go with the Dursleys because there's a protection around him as long as he's near Petunia, um, which is not in the movie at all. No, I'm very sad that's not in the movie because Petunia gets a howler from, we learn from Dumbledore later, reminding wow. her of this um, protective charm mm-hmm. basically for Harry so that he has to stay at Privet Drive. And then um, you also find out that Petunia actually knows what Dementors are and she um, knows a little bit about the Wizarding World. And, you know, she says kind of vaguely, he told us about them. And if you're familiar with the later books and such, you realize that he is Snape who told her about the Dementors. I really miss that too. Yeah, because the opening of the movie is so quick. But yeah, you lose that she gets a letter addressed to her. And then the way she sits quietly and um, the way Vernon like turns on a dime once he realizes that she knows more about magical things and she's been keeping this secret. It's like it added depth to a character that was paper thin, you know, up to that point. Yeah, yes. it, it, it introduced, you know, fathoms that could be there. And it really made her interesting. That totally got cut, which is um, a bummer question, though. Now that we're kind of jumping all around, we've a time turned back to the beginning of the movie. All right. So Harry's <laughs> getting in trouble for protecting himself from the Dementors. Right. And using magic in front of a muggle. Mm-hmm. But it's his family that he's lived with. They know he's a wizard. You know, they make fun of him for being a wizard. So it's not like. Dursley or is being surprised by magic, right? It's not like he's exposing the wizarding world to a bunch of no, normies. But Mike, this is Gaslight the movie. Oh yeah, you're right. You know, this was written before <laughs> the term existed, but literally everything Umbridge does later, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is just, it's just the fucking Gaslight the movie. Um, so. It's also Sartorial the movie. We see he gets to go to the ministry, he puts on a little suit jacket, he sees Voldemort in a little suit jacket. I was like, everybody's looking real good in this movie. I like it. <laughs> and you mentioned yeah, they cleaned up and got haircuts. <laughs> yes, Allie, you know I was looking at the hair this time and like they must have watched that last one and thought, why the fuck did I look like this? Yeah, the uh, the the Friends episode title convention would be Goblet of Fire, the one where no one got haircuts, and then Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> the one where no one believed her right. is this one. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's, I guess you're right. It doesn't matter what he did. He's going to get in trouble. But um, yeah, I mean... The, the thing with the having the longest book into the, one of the shortest movies is you're going to lose some of those small details, which is a bit of a bummer. But there's some times where I think it's beneficial. As much as I like seeing the slow burn, say, of Umbridge slowly taking over the school and you're just you're, you're boiling right with anger by the time she becomes headmaster in the movie, it's played out in montage and it, it's, you know, it's pretty efficient. But you're losing other people, uh, you know, just to go off this intro again. Mm-hmm. He's getting taken to court. We get the Aurors. We sort of get the introduction of Kingsley. Oh, we yeah. get Tonks, Cassie's favorite That's character right. from a couple, though. Um, Allie, one, tell me your favorite character. And two, what do you think about this? I was thinking about this the entire time I was watching it. These Aurors come in. We're going to figure out that that's sort of what Harry Potter wants to end up doing. That's what he ends up taking his owls for in the sixth one. Um, but don't you think... It would mean so much more. I was thinking about this when they go, we've got new faculty this year, Dumbledore says. 
says that every goddamn year. Mm-hmm. I would not go to this school. We've pointed this out before. We've got a new Defense Against the Art, Dark Arts teacher because, of course. <laughs> if that position's always empty, don't you feel like it was Harry's destiny this entire time for him to be the permanent Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher one day? Like that's He's had the experience with the Dark Lord. Who, who better to teach these kids one day, right? <laughs> It's, I was going to say, is that going to be Harry Potter and the Cursed Child 2 with Ooh. Harry as the Defense Against the Dark don't, Arts teacher? Don't say it. Don't say it. <laughs> wow. But no, I mean, it's a very good point. It's very interesting. But they, I mean, they like literally slap you over the head with it because she makes that dramatic speech at the beginning when they're Amazing. introducing mm-hmm. her. And oh, fantastic. And then literally have Hermione smack you over the head in case you didn't pick up the subtleties. Like, oh, the ministry is interfering now. <laughs> you know, the Hogwarts is not going to be the same. That's kids movie, but yes, of course, smack you over the head. Of course. Uh, Amelda Staunton, the actress, I'm not familiar with any of her other work. She is incredible as Dolores Umbridge. She just comes in and truly just kills this thing. I saw an interview with her once where all of her friends said, you'd be perfect for that part. She said, oh, what an insult, but I'll take it. <laughs> Described uh, as a But toad. no, please, Allie, cut back. I want to know, grand scheme of this entire series, who is your favorite character? Do you like any of these? Is it Mad-Eye Moody? We see the real Mad-Eye Moody in this movie. Mm-hmm. We do. We get the real Mad-Eye. We get Tonk. I mean, we get really introduced to the Aurors, um, which is just fantastic. I mean, I feel like it's so cliche, but I I have to say Hermione is my favorite character. I love it. I just, you know, she's awesome. She's really like the reason that Harry and Ron are still alive at this Mm -hmm. point. Um, Because, you know, even in Goblet of Fire, she's helping Harry learn some of these jinxes so he can prepare for the maze and stuff. It's just, yeah, she's just awesome. She's the best. And in this one, Allie, I was thinking, you know, not to use a dumb term, but she's one of the boys. He kisses Cho and then it's, it's not just him and Ron talking about it. It's him, Ron and Hermione. How was it? wet very wet she was crying and her mind just kind of like nods at that again i'm like what a weird relationship these kids have right <laughs> no i i would agree that it really kind of more solidifies the i would say almost brother sister friend relationship that they have but you do start picking up some of the undertones between ron and hermione too like um in the scene where she gets grabbed by grop and uh he's grop. freaking out yeah and he's the one who leads the charge to get her down mm-hmm. and um, you know, checks to make sure she's all right. So. Uh, they do start sowing those seeds in the movie, like even more heavily than than the book did. The book didn't really give me a whole lot of those hints, but in the movie, because I think they know where they're going, they're starting to kind of introduce that. So they they cut out all of Ron becoming a Quidditch champion, but they give him a little little bump up on the, the romance meter in the, in the movie. So you know, it works out. But he did not get a ton. But I do like our three mains. I think the acting has gotten better as well for all of them as they've gotten better. Oh, for sure, Mike. I think Daniel Radcliffe really kind of knows what he's doing at this point. We've been ragging on him a little bit, Allie. But he's he's kind of standing on his own right now, right? Well, and to um, give him even more credit, because he's starting to do these um, moments in the movies where he's being... Uh, not uh, where he's having the dreams connecting him to Voldemort too. And so you see him. Allie, having he does like a little snake and... movement on the ground at one point. Right? Dumbledore's like, no, no, no. And he's like, <laughs> I was like, Ooh, that's, that's great animal work, Daniel. You're doing incredible. Uh, but exactly. hold on. I wanted to go back to what Mike just said, because we know that the Quidditch subplot gets cut out. You guys had mentioned this, but the cool thing about it is if you read this books and normies, we urge you to read these books. If you haven't done it, if you just know them as the films, read these dumb books. Like they're they're fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Ron starts playing Quidditch, 
And, uh, you know, Allie, I was talking about your little, your Harry Potter history. If you were at Hogwarts, what would you be doing? I wanted to know this when I was watching this this time, since it's not included in the movie at all. Would you guys play Quidditch? Would that be something? Do you think you would go out for the team if you were attending that school? I feel like I would try to go out for the team. And the first time I took like a quaffle or a bludger to the head, I'd be like, nope, I'm out. Bye. (laughs) Allie, you play soccer, you dance, you're super athletic. I don't want to hear it. Mike, you skateboard. I I could see you ride in it, right? I mean, I'm also a fan of hockey. So like I I could see myself getting into the idea of Quidditch, but I never played team sports really past like the age of 10. So if anything, I'd just be doing kickflips on my firebolt or something, you know. zooming around like you know fred george hey hey, kid there's no brooming out here this is a nice place you're like yeah whatever man it's not even damaging anything when i do grinds because it's hovering (laughs) calm down (laughs) look i was watching it this time i was like no way loss of balance like i would i would hate all of that and then i saw mad eyes vacuum cleaner that he comes out and i was like you know what maybe i would do it actually (laughs) i could use a vacuum that's for goalies yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah for real <laughs> that's true um I, I i don't personally miss quidditch in Is the it? movie because quidditch does have dumb rules but it's a visual spectacle uh, admittedly it's some of the best stuff we hate it on this podcast ally the rules Almost make no sense to us, but i love to watch it every time yeah oh i love the scenes where they include it because yeah it's just fantastic to watch and see all the cgi and everything um and there are some pinnacle moments that happen during the quidditch games too like when he gets the bludger to the arm Mm. and the dementors coming um so it has its place um in the storyline but i mean yeah i love the scenes where they have it and i was sad that they dropped it but i can see why because it also you know he got the he gets banned from Quidditch by Umbridge. Um, and that's like the one thing that he always felt confident about, always felt good but about. That's why not? Guys, this is the shortest movie, a five minute Quidditch scene that shows that stuff of him getting all that taken away. What what does that lose for the movie? Well, in fact, they have a lot to gain, at least just showing one Quidditch scene because he gets banned because he punches Draco. You know, Draco's making fun of them and him and George, you know, have an altercation with Draco and he punches him, physical you know, violence in the wizarding world is a little rare. And then that happens again when Sirius punches Lucius at the end of the movie. At the end of the movie, he says, stay away from my godson and punches Lucius. So the father, you know, punching the son, you know, but you don't see it in the movie when Harry punches Draco. So it's like you only got half of it. No, and we all remember how much we love the scene where Hermione punches Draco in the third one, right? I mean, why not bring that back? Exactly. Um, sorry, Tom. Or, yeah, sorry, Felton. Right. I was so into Draco Watch this time as well. I was kind of keeping my eye out. You know, again, we talk sartorial. He has upgraded to the turtleneck and black uh, coat look. Like, my boy is rocking in this one. He looks incredible. Jacob has brought up this point in the last couple episodes that they have to grow the friend group out. So for Gryffindor, we've got Luna, you know, we've got Neville, we've got Ginny kind of actually popping up and being a character in this one. Uh, what I love to see, Allie, though, is Slytherin gang growing out, getting a couple girls in that mix, too. I was like, oh, yeah, now they've got like a little crew hanging out, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. What's, um, what, wait, the, I can't remember the name of the girl who's always hanging around in this book. Um, She's bad. The, uh, the Slytherin, yeah. uh, there's Pansy, and then there's also Millicent. Yeah, Pansy. Oh, Pansy and Millicent. Yeah. No way would I yeah. not be dating Pansy and Millicent. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. 
It's uh, the names aren't subtle very often in Harry Potter. Like Umbridge, it's like, ah, oh, this will be your new teacher, Cranky McEvil, and it's like, how is this gonna spin out? Um, but yeah, the crew's grown out. You said Draco Watch, but we do have a segment we love on this podcast called um, Longbottom Watch, Neville Watch. Yes. Let's let's talk Neville Watch. Hey. Allie, how do we feel hey, about it? No, I'm cutting off oh, Allie. No, she does not first. get to go first just because she's the female. Guess what, Mike? I was watching it too. The haircuts are working across the board. My boy is looking shorn. He is looking good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Now let's kick it to the guest, Ali. Neville Watch. He is looking good. He's getting handsome. He's doing he's the, looking good. the swan. He's turning into the swan slowly, right? Yes, he's absolutely turning to the swan, both physically, though, and mentally and emotionally. You know, he's coming to his own, and you realize the tragic past of his parents. Yeah. Um, and there's one thing I forgot about until I reread the book this time. Uh, Neville was always using his dad's mm-hmm. wand. Which, you know, kind of a homage to his father, which is really nice, but the wand chooses the wizard. And so maybe that's why Neville struggled more with his spell work, uh, was because he was not using his own proper wand, too. That makes a lot but, of sense. Yeah, Wizarding he's... world is just set up for the lower class to just struggle. You've got the you got the, the uh, Weasleys, you've got the Longbottoms. Everybody who's just poor is like, well, you don't have the right tech to be doing it, guys. And You're fucked. You can't afford a Thunderbolt, you might as well get off the Quidditch pitch, you know what I mean? Like, you gotta buy the highest end gear yeah um but for neville watch yeah i mean we learn that he's using the wrong wand which i think certainly could be a contributing factor to why he kind of struggled and then when he learns that bellatrix lestrange has escaped from azkaban he just doubles down and works his ass off to become the second best student in dumbledore's army right behind hermione with the wrong wand yes exactly you know he really transforms Mm -hmm. and what do we think because he does tell harry in the movie uh you know my parents were were tortured and and stuff but i think in the book if you want to talk about saint mungo's i think that it's something that would have been very hard to do it's a whole new set and new location but really really uh it's a lot stronger in the book I agree. I would have loved to seen St. Mungo's. I understand why they cut it out. I mostly would have just loved to seen Gilderoy Lockhart again. Jacob was hinting at that before. I had that question. I did not remember that he pops up again. Allie, I would have loved to see that again. And you know Kenneth Branagh would have been down to just play like a wacky idiot. Oh, my God. I think he's in a wheelchair, too. So Wild Wild West, like, let's go. (laughs) Right? got a little tray to hand out all his autographs and everything yeah he's ready to go (laughs) yeah yeah he thinks everyone wants his autographs he's like because he lost his mind it was funny to see him come back and he's like oh these are my fans he's telling his nurse you know and it's like okay man um which is kind of sad to see that yeah he's he's just gone crazy but you do get the heavier reveal of you know neville's parents you know collecting the gum wrappers and it's, it's 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 heartbreaking and then looking at what um, David Tennant did, you know, Junior, when he did Crucio and made Neville watch. Like, it, it's again, it's just that was one of the oh, most so evil grim. things ever, right? And so grim, Mike. And so we get sadistic. Yeah. We get the hint, we get the picture. You know, we don't get the St. Mungo's, we get the picture. This is the old order of the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. These are the long bottoms. They helped us, they were killed. Uh, we should explain a little bit. Order of Phoenix is a task force Dumbledore sort of assembled and put together of the strongest, best revolutionary witches and wizards who would rise up and fight against the Dark Lord's emergence, Mm -hmm. right? And what do we think of the name Order of the Phoenix? Mm. Because me personally, I think it ties into the wand cores, where it's Fox, the Phoenix, giving the feather, and it's in both 
Voldemort and Harry's wand. That's kind of where I thought part of the name. The Death Eaters could almost be the Order of the Phoenix as well, right? Voldemort has that symbology as well. I totally forgot about the wand cores. And when I did Pottermore, I got Phoenix cores. So maybe I would be in the Order of the Phoenix. Um, (laughs) You're so strong, Mike. But, you know, I'm like Harry, you know, I could just put a lightning bolt. Um, (laughs) But I think that's really cool. I didn't think about it. I mean, obviously, Fox was just one of the things. I'm like, oh, yes, here's a bird. We'll be be that. But the core of the wands, that, that actually is really astute and a good point that's why we get experts on this show everyone listening at home well and is there some sort of play so the dumbledore army they start calling it the da so that is that must just be homage to defense against dark arts the da class but order of the phoenix is there is there something bigger there that i'm missing out on is it truly did he just name it after fox Utpa. <laughs> um, no, that's just more of my, I'm, I'm sure the normies listeners will write in, but that's just kind of my own interpretation like of that where can. that name came from. Yeah, I love that. Oh, Especially because we're exploring like the connection between you know, Voldemort and Harry in this so much. That's very cool. Um, Dumbledore's army. Um, in the fact that they're not teaching them defense against the dark arts, practical spells, right? Through his manipulation of the ministry, this seems to be exactly what Voldemort would want is anybody who would be in Hogwarts to not be trained so that it would be easier to take over when he's eventually launching his his attack at a certain point. Like it makes perfect sense that they would want to have no practical magic classes. We'll do paperwork, we'll do busy work all day. But Mike, doesn't it come back to the point I made? We get <laughs> literal evidence here that Harry is a good teacher. He has hands-on experience with kids and stuff. Why would he not pursue this path? Why become a cop? That's my main thing, man. I just don't like it. We <laughs> like, don't like it. Like Joe here. said, the, the the quarterback of the Quidditch team marries his high school yeah. girlfriend and becomes a cop. You know, the classic American story. Oh, God. <laughs> That's too he on the should nose. should have been a teacher. <laughs> he really should should have been a t- I, I'm so with you, Colin. This is my new favorite thing. And the other headcanon is Neville is the best and the real hero and, <laughs> and Harry can become a teacher. Well, and Mike, yeah. we know why Neville's the best. We get the evidence for it. It's not really in the movie. I mean, Mm-mm. it's it, the whole book is where they talk about the prophecy, correct? You guys want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, sure. Allie, you want to go ahead? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the prophecy, which you, they do tell you that that's a, the one of Trelawney's few true prophecies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she does have the seer ability, just not very strong. Um, but she gave the prophecy that, that, you know, the the end of he who shall not be named will be coming. Um, he will be born at the end of July. Harry's birthday mm-hmm. is July 31st. Um, and, you know, it doesn't, and it's um, his parents have escaped Voldemort thrice. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, three times they have, um, beaten Voldemort, which applied to both the Potters and the Longbottoms. Yeah, and, and that was July 30th, you know, so they're both at the yes. end of July. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and so it was kind of left for interpretation, and um, Voldemort basically had to decide which it was. And so they focus in the book about how they chose Harry, who's half-blood because Lily being born from Muggles, versus Longbottom, who is pure-blood. Um, and so it's, you know, he goes over or basically focuses on the, his own kind. Right, right. And then the the prophecy also said that he would be marked as his equal by the Dark Lord. <laughs> so by trying to kill Harry, it actually made him like the prophecy person, like whichever one he chose would have been the one that he marked as his equal and all that. But um, yeah, they both kind of fit the criteria. And uh, I do like the fan theory of, you know, the two... Um, chosen ones let's say for example and 
I, I love Neville Watch, and I'm, you know, I love that he is ready to get revenge. And when he says, Bellatrix says, you know, how are your parents? And he says, good, now that they're about to be avenged, or a lot better now that they're about to be avenged. And I, right. I love it. I'm, I'm so team Neville. He's, he's probably my favorite character now. We said sartorial. He's wearing a sweater vest in this one. He's looking great. He's making friendships with Luna. Um, we're here for you, kid. Allie, does he get his teeth fixed after this series or something? Obviously, he's kind of known for those distinctive buck teeth. You got to figure the directors were like, no, 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 no. That's what you're looking like until this is done. Oh, yeah. For definitely the last two, I think the last two books, movies, he wore prosthetics oh, to you're keep kidding. that. No, wow. I distinctly remember reading an interview where he had to wear prosthetics um, because he had, uh, I think he had to wear braces and got his teeth straightened, Good but he did him. wear prosthetics to keep the look. Yeah, the Neville look. Wow. Uh, we love mm-hmm. you, Neville. All right. Well, you just mentioned Luna. Your dog's named Luna, Alex. Let's, let's do a little, let's do <laughs> yes. a little talk. Let's talk Luna because I, I adore her. She is one but of the says Hermione's the here. favorite character. Tell us you don't love Luna. Obviously, she's the best. Oh, she's amazing. I mean, how could you not love Luna? She she in the movie does fill in some of the gaps. So, uh, you know, she teaches Harry about the thrustrals. Mm-hmm. She saw her mother die. Um, and whereas opposed to they learned it in the Caramagical Creatures class. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you learn that she's one of the people who can see them and kind of reaffirms Harry. Um, this was one of the few plot points that I learned by actually reading and not reading on the internet i was very proud Mm. of um it's on the internet now but uh they mentioned at the end of goblet of fire the horseless carriages and by that point he would have already seen cedric die so she didn't come up with thestrals until the fifth book yes right yeah i was wondering that too because it's like no other student before harry or luna had had a parent or a loved one die and you know the, the thestrals not really in front out. of them the wording's very specific <laughs> i have never seen anyone die uh, you guys have i'm sure but you know not the rest of us it's very grim mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and you know so she provides that um even though she's loony love good she does provide uh, that sanity for harry and explaining she's that. one of the only people who believes him and her father too, right? So she, he's one of the, she is one of the few people that Harry can rely on to kind of have his back, especially early on. Um, and everyone sees her as the weird one, but she's kind of the only reasonable one. Uh, right, absolutely. And she, um, if I remember correctly, she helped bring in some more Ravenclaws for the DA meetings and getting people interested. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And she's great. She's very fun. And her father, again, with the Quibbler, she kind of helps that plot point move forward too in the book. Um, yeah, just overall a good character. Just fun. Her Patronus is a rabbit. I mean, what more do you uh, I love it. Allie, I was looking for a little gossip because I, I was kind of getting a vibe. Ivana Lynch, uh, an Irish actress, is the one who plays uh, Luna. I was kind of like, you know, has Daniel Radcliffe ever said if he dated anyone on set? Obviously not the main crew. I know they didn't for sure. But some of those looks, I was like, him and Ivana Lynch, did something happen there? But I could not find anything. No, they didn't date, but she did date someone. Hmm. Was it one of the Weasley twins? Hmm. Oh, well, boy, this is the one then, oh, because they are I gotta all go to Google. That's confirming a lot of people's fanfics now. If that, if that yeah. <laughs> this is... I'm trying to remember. I feel like she did date somebody from the movies in real life, and I just can't remember who now. I'm hoping they, maybe Draco. Could have been Malfoy. But, <laughs> Allie, you mentioned the twins. This is the twins movie. Yeah, you know, the they've, twins They've book, been scattered. Yeah. They've obviously had some stuff. They knew in this one we got to give them the most dialogue because they get the standout scenes. They start the joke shop, baby. We, we get the coolest stuff from here on out with them. 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, you get to see the development. They're testing their products on the little first years, which is very questionable ethically. Um, but yes, it's uh, it's really great. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Oh, that's right. What? I'm so sorry. She dated Robbie Jarvis, who played the younger version of James Potter. Oh, you're Google. kidding. Oh. Very weird. And his three minutes <laughs> would not time. have guessed that at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, back to the George and uh, the other one. Sorry. <laughs> I don't Fred, know anything about Fred, these books. you fool. Mike, Fred. I, you know, the pedantry I always have, we've talked about it. How does the magic work? You just said they're feeding the, the cookies that make you have various illnesses to the first years. You know, you guys are going to want to buy this. It'll help you skip school. Mm-hmm. Now, again, the idea is that they baked these things and then cast charms on them, or they just created it whole cloth, created matter with magic. How did they make How did Allie, the ear that they dangle down and drop, is that a dead ear that they have cast some <laughs> sort of magic on to make it do that? How grim is this getting? Oh, God. I don't know about the ear, but um, <laughs> at least for the... Um, the skeeve boxes, the skeeving boxes mm-hmm. that they use so you can get out of class. They did take like poisons from different animals and plants and like basically incorporate them in small quantities oh. to, and they tested them on themselves so they could figure out like, okay, what dose of this do I need to get a fever uh, and boils? What dose of this is going to yeah make me throw up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like pocketing creatures that they're cleaning out of the mansion in the first part of the book. They're like, oh, oh that's keep this pixie, you know. <laughs> 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 they are collecting ingredients throughout, which is fun. Um, yeah, and they they uh, they're basically like, yeah, you know, we we don't really like school anyway. We're gonna do a joke shop, so you know, they they kind of have the big uh, fu to Umbridge, and uh, that academics is just so are not our pursuit. Yeah, Mike, yeah. there is some freedom and courage to that. It's kind of uh, you know the spark that kicks off Harry deciding he can rebel too. You you gotta love the Weasleys again. Uh, Ali, you said Bill is—is is that the one who's kind of written out of Fred the, Percy? George. I'm sorry, Percy's oh, written Percy's out of this one. Percy's written, yeah. But, yeah, you know, Percy—they're all just so distinct. Still, you gotta love it. Yeah, no, Charlie's the only one who never really makes an appearance in the movies, which is sad because he's is the he... one that works with dragons. Oh, he's the mm-hmm. oldest, oldest, oldest of the oldest. Okay, he's not the mm-hmm. werewolf one. No, that's Bill, okay. um, who works at Gringotts and is the one that marries Fleur. I know you guys talked about that on the mm-hmm. end of the last one. Um, God, the Weasleys are Catholic. Like, what's going on there? How many kids do they have? That is far too much. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And then Percy's the one that's kind of written out, or at least his plot is written out because he rejects the family. He he sends his you know sweater with the pee on it that he got at Christmas. He sent it back. Oh my God! And And he doesn't even look at his father when he leaves the hearing. He's you know because he's like doing the stenography basically or whatever. And you know he he was in Goblet of Fire too, but didn't really appear in that movie either. So yeah, the Percy being estranged from the family is not really present here, and it is sad because they're such like a like they're our family unit. They're Harry's family unit. They're like the loving, warm, cozy den, and then even they have a strife. Yes, it's like the closest semblance he sees to a normal family. and There's even difficulties within that, you know. So I think relationships are getting more complex here, you know, even with the reveal that James Potter was kind of a bully to Snape. You know, we're learning that there's shades of gray 
um, and all these people around us. It's not just black and white. Dumbledore himself is admitting to having faults. The only person who is unabashedly terrible is Umbridge. <laughs> Right. And fudge for sure. Yeah. For should sure. we should we talk about her send off? Yeah, oh, let's please. Because it is just um, so glorious. Yeah, Allie had kind of oh Allie, sorry, Cassie in our past episode had kind of hinted about the centaur. You know, there was a more developed culture there. Um, it, not really in this one, but it's a it's a really cool scene when they do show up. Did you guys dig it? Yeah, and if I may, let's do her send off starting with Fred and George leaving school because they're kind of tied together. That's when the revolution starts, right? So the fireworks scene, very fun. They knock down all the decrees. And yeah, they're basically like, you know, we're out of here, fuck school. And, uh, you know, here's some prank boxes. It's, it's really great stuff. And then that's kind of the moment where the students even start to like make jokes, you know, you know, I might pull a Weasley if this gets any harder. You know, they start kind of being able to push back, you know. Yes, absolutely. So, yes, they kind of erupt. And um, you guys mentioned it before, too, but Peeves getting cut out makes me sad as well because they leave that sending message with Peeves, like, give her hell for us. Oh, um, amazing. He's kind of their patron ghost. I could see that. And it's, yeah, yes, isn't yes. it the first time he's ever taken orders from anybody is when they say, you know, give her hell, Peeves. Anyone. Exactly. Anyone who's not the bloody baron, basically. Yes. And so he he works very hard to give her a hard time after that. Um, but yes, they kind of merge two scenes mm-hmm. into the movie, which I think works um, because Harry breaks into her office twice to use the fire to try to speak with Sirius. Yeah. Um, and one of the times is the Weasley's leaving this giant swamp out, um, which I think would have been so hard to pull off, but would have been so cool but to I see. I do in remember yeah. it so distinctly from the book, even having no memory of the rest. Yeah, just their the the amazing wonders that they do. Um, can I? Is it the same? Is does Hermione come in clutch? Is she the one who decides to lead them into the forest? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was the one who basically to prevent um, Harry from being tortured. Kind of makes the diversion of we'll just tell her we're and you know we're trying to reach Dumbledore. The weapon is ready and goes into the forest to you know in exactly the hopes that would happen. Run into the centaurs because they know that now. I think that the way they changed it in the movie does work um, because in the book, the centaurs are angry because Ferenz left to teach divination, Mm -hmm. um, which would have loved to see that, but understand why they had to cut it, Mm -hmm. right? Crazy CGI. Um, Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, And so you see the centaurs very angry that he's, you know, being a servant to the humans Um, and then, you know, going into the forest. Um, but what it ends up happening in the movie is that Hagrid says the ministry is restricting the area. So either way, you know, you're kind of opening up that um, opportunity for when Umbridge says that she's a human, higher being, slash she's part of the ministry, they're going to react. Yeah, yeah, because they're already on, you know, unstable footing with wizards in general and the ministry as well. Um, I can't remember in the book, does, does Groppy get involved? I don't think he does. In the movie, Groppy shows up and grabs her and then puts her down. Is it the it, spider? In my mind, when they were taking her out, I was like, oh, yes, the spider will kill her. No, and I was like, oh, no, it's that giant, it's of course. Centaurs, yeah. No, it's the centaurs. Yeah, the centaurs are the ones that take her off. But Grop does show up at one point because the centaurs start shooting arrows at him. 
And the reason I, I, um, this sticks out is because Hermione and Harry get covered with blood from Grop, oh, and that's oh what God. attracts the Threstrolls, because they're um, oh. very sensitive to the scent of blood. That's right. And that's how they get their ride to go to the ministry, like, oh, we're going to take the Threstrolls. So the blood of Groppy <laughs> is what helps them save the day. And Hermione's just, like, yeah. on something she can't see and just kind of, like, giving faith over to it. That's great. Which should have been played out more oh, yeah. in the movie, I think. Yeah. Yes, yeah, because it's, um, well, in the book, too, Neville saw his grandfather pass in front of him, so he can see the thresholds as well. Mm-hmm. But yes, in the book, they make a big point of, like, Harry, Ron, and Ginny not being able to see them and having to help them get on top Amazing. and get ready to ride. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe uh, would slow down the pacing of your big third act. It'd be like, all right, now here's the horse, like, touch it, okay. <laughs> right. Know, it works in the book. Um and yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, Umbridge getting taken off. Good. She'll show up later. Should we talk, get to the ministry, uh, our big finale here? Yeah. I will say I love, because mm-hmm. this was not in the book, but I do love that they bring it full circle. And, you know, she yells at Harry, you know, tell, tell them I mean no harm. And in the movie, he says, I must not tell lies. Yeah. And I just thought, like, that was beautiful. Just well done. No, that, that, that was great. Yeah, that, it's a, a clap-worthy moment. The audience is uh, in theaters, which if you don't know what theaters are, uh, they used to exist. <laughs> um, and a lot of people will go to them. Yeah, that is a great moment, true. I, I must not tell lies. And it's like, thank God. Um, yeah, and we're off on the test rolls to go to the ministry to get the prophecy, right? Harry has been getting visions. He thinks Sirius is in danger. He has to run off to the ministry. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a trap. They're facing Death Eaters. Let me ask you this, Allie. I was thinking this time, you know, the Room of Mysteries, the other various ones we do. I remember we do go back there and I think Crimes of Grindelwald, but don't you just want to see a movie that's just called The Ministry of Magic, where it's some low-level guy who has to, like, deal with all these crazy things that they keep there and all the bureaucracy that goes on. Oh my God. I would love it. Get like Melissa McCarthy to oh play my like God. a lower end. <laughs> That's How exactly what fantastic, should be Alex. Right? How fantastic <laughs> would that be? Just like getting her to just live her normal day job and then something goes oh. askew and she has to fix it somehow. And I mean, yes, oh, I love it. 100%. It, or give us what the unspeakables. Pitch. It's like these weird, like, X-Files of the Wizarding World. Like, yes. that's so cool. I was thinking Dresden Files. Totally, Mike. It's the yeah. Warehouse 51 or, you know, whatever that concept of. Where it's just yeah, these yeah. endless magical places with these cool items. It's Indiana Jones. You know, it's actually getting to see where the Ark of the Covenant goes. But we're here. We get the prophecies. Yeah. Again, movie watchers, it's like none of this makes sense to you. Like, Harry knows he's going here to do this thing, but he doesn't really know why he's doing it if you're just watching the movie, right? Yeah, I mean, in the book, like, he's constantly saying, like, I just want to get through the door and see what's there. Like, he feels so compelled. Um, and there's even moments, too, where he's, like, just really happy for no reason, and he realizes it's because Voldemort is very happy, and that's the moment when they broke all the Death Eaters out of jail. So the the connection ah. and the visions are way more developed in the book. Again, you have more time, so it's things where each medium kind of does things with different strengths. Obviously, the visuals in the film are incredible, but uh, yeah, he doesn't really know why he's going there, but he just is compelled My- to. Mike, I love that. Let's talk about the visuals for the movie, though, for just a second. Um, This was the period where 3D post-conversions were super huge. You had stuff like Beowulf, Polar Express, like these new 3D movies had kind of kicked this off. This is the first Harry Potter movie where they make that promise. 20 minutes of this film was shot in IMAX 3D. 
So pretty much when they get to the Ministry of Magic on, you kind of feel all that fog and stuff that's in there. Did either of you guys happen to see this film in 3D? I did not. I, I kind of wonder what that conversion would look like. I personally did not. If you have, Normies, let us know how it was. But I, if you have I've never a, been 3D a 3D Blu-ray at home and a 3D TV, I, I just <laughs> cannot imagine that anybody is doing it. Yeah, Order of the Phoenix in 2020, Mike. I, just, I would be so hard-pressed. But if you yeah. are, please let us know <laughs> how it was. Um, yeah, I guess uh, let's mention the prophecy. Like, you can only pick it up if it's about you, right? Like, only if you're part of the prophecy. Can Strange. You How does it get stored there? But okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. whose tongs just big. <laughs> right. It and it, it is curious how they actually make it because it's just a copy of the prophecy. It's not, you know, it's not like the actual, they were there for the actual event. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I forgot to pay attention to this when I was watching the film, but in the book, they um, put the initials for SBT for Sybil Tronoli to um, A, oh God, <laughs> Albus Dumbledore and all his initials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's his full name. Yeah. Right. And then they and they do have Dark Lord and question mark. And then next to the question mark, they write in Harry Potter oh. to show that there was unknown in the beginning. No, I right, think they leave right. all that out. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's basically what, Voldemort's been doing is planting these images in Harry's head to try to get him to go grab the prophecy because he can't. What he can do is get 12 Death Eaters into the ministry undetected and he himself comes to the ministry at the end of the movie so why did you not just go in and take it he says he doesn't want to expose himself when he's being yeah. so secretive but you showed up anyway I, I hate Voldemort's plans the this Goblet of again, Fire what the hell I've got issues with the story for this one Mike and the the story constraints that they're having to do now where it's like Lord Voldemort's back Technically, it could all be leading to a final duel with him and Harry, but we kind of need to write a couple more books before that happens. So let's give him some motivation to figure that out. But why? What does he get out of doing this prophecy? Well, if I have that, I'll have the answers that I didn't have last time, and I'll have the advantage and all. Yeah, but again, you you kill these ki- you kill a kid every day. I've seen you do it. It's easy. Yeah, you've got your soul split up into all these things. Yeah, you don't know the horcrux issue that you're going to face, but the prophecy's not going to tell you anything about that. And but maybe he doesn't know that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's he's the, one of the most powerful wizards ever. Powerful wizard, terrible tactician. That's just that's where I'm truly. At. Yeah. <laughs> he is Hitler yeah. in every sense of the word. He just he fails at the leadership plots. level. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. you're just a fool. Yeah. Just get a gun. Just get a gun. Muggles use them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about Voldemort and his plan? And kind yeah. of the whole thing? No, I agree because it really, I mean, it makes sense that he wants to hide. He has power by being in the shadows and mm-hmm. not, you know, leaving this mystery. It gives him time to build up his strength. That's and, kind of what you know, the whole thing was with the newspapers. Right. If, if, if it was just him busting exactly. the prisoners out and seeding dissent, then yes, that is a very effective plan, Allie. It's this cherry on mm-hmm. top where he's like, then I've got to get the jewel. It's all about this other thing. Right. Well, and they don't explain it in the movie, but they do in the book. So at the night that they, Sybil Tronley gave the prophecy, one of Voldemort's um, henchmen, one of the uh, Death Eaters was there and heard the first part of the prophecy, not the second part where it says, um, neither shall live while the other survives, meaning that, you know, one has to kill the mm-hmm. other. And so Voldemort went in on the first line of information, and that's what basically became his undoing, was that he tried to kill Harry. The spell rebounded. Um, 
But I do really appreciate this book because I've, and I think a lot of people really enjoy the seventh book with the Horcruxes and getting to learn about that kind of magic. But this is really the first book where you start to see, you get the hints of the Horcruxes and mm. um, with the visions of going into it, you know, the vision of um, Harry being in Nagini and attacking uh, Mr. Weasley, you get to the sense that there are hard cruxes between them and they're connected. And so um, Voldemort can kind of travel between them. Mm -hmm. And then you know, Nagini, my favorite character from Fantastic Beasts, you know, great backstory so good. from the zoo scene to the one scene in uh, Goblet of Fire to this scene. Well, <laughs> Here we it. are. Uh, the Guinea watch. Um, but yeah, the, the connection, I'm wondering if JK kind of knew horcruxes were going to be a thing. Or is it a Thestral situation, you know? I think she's very good at show, don't tell. And sometimes when she does tell you things, I'm a little bit unsatisfied with the explanation. But the world building, you know, so who knows? But it, I do like the idea that these connections are showing up between them. And that very well is a, a super solid explanation in, in my head canon. So I'm on board. Part of me, you know, I, I agree. You have to wonder, does she come up with it later? Part of me thinks that she always intended other Horcruxes because of Tom Riddle's diary making such an early presence mm. in the series and learning that that was one of the Horcruxes. So I do think that was intended, but it's yeah, you, you do have to wonder. It's a perfect thing to put in post. I don't know. You know, we, we've talked about her writing style. The one thing I'll give her credit for, regardless, there are no scraps. You know, the, it's there is no leftover meat on the bone. She uses it all to make this thing. That's why I was so impressed with you guys saying the on Petunia stuff, that she's so developed in this book. It's like, you can kind of feel J.K. Rowling at this point being like, I don't know, who haven't I used at this point? Like, let's make this <laughs> character really cool and interesting. I might as well. Right. Well, you get to introduce to Shacklebold and he plays a critical character in the seventh book again. You know, mm -hmm. she really she, she finds purpose for him. Yeah, yeah she, she finds does. a way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we, we get Death Eaters. Speaking of some new characters, we talked about Bellatrix. She's kind of the only one who really has any character even in the no, book too. they all suck my except for the baby-headed guy he's great the baby-headed guy sucks <laughs> oh that too. was great I, I will not accept that answer but you said it before the death eater outfits were these very kkk inspired you know gowns mm -hmm. ornate things and this one i mean they're stormtroopers mike you know they come out when we see right. lucius sort of walk up with that first time with the cane he disappears the mask i mean they have gone full assault tech at this point i, I, I kind of love it i kind of love the, the look way, but, yeah. yeah do you know why they had to change the look oh please no, no. okay my i mean y'all are the film experts but my understanding is that they couldn't fit them in the shots and the um uh, Department of Ministries and with all the prophecies, uh, they couldn't fit tall, the hat in the shots. Amazing. Yeah, it was too tall, so that's why they changed the costume <laughs> and the look. Which I agree, I think the new look is better. I like that but. so much more than uh, there was a little bit of parallels to the KKK that we wanted to avoid, rather than the hat's too tall. Yeah, I, I don't need guys in pointy hats. Like, I don't even need to think preferable about that for bullshit. Me. Get it out of there. Yes. Get it out of there. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, then it kind of wraps went, up. I mean, we get mm -hmm. the Dumbledore, we get the Voldemort duel, they get out of it, we get the cool fire salamander thing, kind of the best effects of this movie, in my opinion. Water, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's uh, it's Absolutely. the highest caliber duel. Were you guys excited about that, that we've seen so far, well, too? You go ahead. Oh, yes, because you actually get to see why uh, Voldemort is so scared of Dumbledore. You get to see Dumbled some of Dumbledore's true power. He holds that bastard off, you're right. 
Yes. And as you guys alluded to, I don't think Richard Harris could have done that. No. <laughs> soul. Uh, Allie, just swinging his arm around like a windmill, you would see the string attached to it as it went by. <laughs> and they would say, Jesus Christ, we got a green screen, all of us. You can get away with it once with, you know, Christopher Lee and uh, Gandalf. Like, that's the only yeah. old man wizard fight that cinema will be allowed to yeah, have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this is great. I-, I wanted to say, I put this in my notes. Wizards are freaking nerds, dude. Like in D and D, what right? is that? No, no, here. Like, what is that? In D and D, like wizards are always like the freaking nerds. They're not badass. They're just doing spells, which is cool, right? They get glass cannons, but this is like Harry Potter, specifically this final fight, like made wizards seem like so badass. The way they're launching spells against the Death Eaters, the clash yes. with the wands, the salamander, the water, like it made you think, like, damn, you know, these nerds. No, they're pretty cool. Like, it made Wizards the coolest <laughs> fantasy. Like, now, like, a knight in armor is boring by comparison, kind of is what I'm saying. Well, and Ali- Oh, I agree. And- well, oh, Allie, sorry, does- go ahead. No, no, does- I just want to know, to build on that, Allie, does it bug you at all to what Jacob has said before, that we're not getting the verbalization, we're not getting, like, any sort of different effects-wise? It's kind of like a lot of just the same color being shot out. But it is grand in scale, wouldn't you say? It, it looks pretty good, in my opinion. I think it looks very good. And yes, you have to be careful because that is supposed to be an advanced skill to be able to say the spell and um, or do the spell without actually verbalizing it. Um, so I do think they are pretty careful about it in the book but that it's the Allie, older wizards. You don't want to hear every two seconds stupefy, stupefy, stupefy. No. Like the, just imagine watching a movie where it's just like five people saying that to each other over and over and over like a cowboy shootout. That would be. You don't, you don't want to hear pew, 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 <laughs> pew, pew, pew. Lightning bolt. Lightning bolt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, they, I think they ascended magic visually to make it yes. very satisfying to see. And, like, it, you know, it made wizarding, like, a very cool thing. And that's what the series has done for sure is taken the D&D nerd character and made it the coolest thing ever, which I, I do love. Um, and this battle does that. The salamander, the water, and even in the book, Fox straight up eats an Avada Kedavra to save uh, Right? Dumbledore. Oh, my God. Yes. Well, and I would—I was going to say in the book, it's actually worse because Hermione is completely knocked unconscious during this fight. Um, Ginny's uh, ankle broken, gets broken. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ron gets a couple jinxes and like attacked by this brain tentacle thing. Um, what? Uh, wild night. Neville gets yeah, Neville gets straight up kicked in the face. <laughs> I mean, like it is brutal. <laughs> well, that's what fixes the teeth. With a broken nose. He, no, yeah. so he's saying stupefy. Poor thing. Um, All that looks good. Uh, The one spell, obviously, we have not talked about the big thing yet. Let's let's talk about the final thing here. The one spell that kind of looks amazing. Our boy gets Avada Kedavra. Gary Oldman gets lit up. We lose your favorite character, Mike Sirius Black. Mm -hmm. Um, But to my to my two book readers here, what what is going on? What is this gigantic thing behind him? And and when he turns into the ghosts and all that stuff. This time watching, I was like, I don't. I have no idea what this is. So that's where, again, Luna kind of plays this um, more knowing character, I guess. But it, it's kind of the allude to what is the after place, you know, because she and Harry can hear the voices. And so the, maybe the thought is that you can hear the voices of the people you've lost close to you. Harry's lost quite a few, so he hears multiple voices. Oh um, and so there, it, the thought is that that may be the afterlife and that's where souls go 
I remember afterwards. them having a big discussion after it happens in the books where Harry goes, well, he'll be a ghost because he, I think he's talking with nearly headless Nick, right? Where he mm-hmm. says mm-hmm. like, um, you, you made the choice. It seems like it's a conscious thing you're able to do in, in the Harry Potter world. You made the choice to be a ghost. Sirius will too. And he kind of has to come and reckon to Sirius doesn't have anything on this world that he's still holding on to. And, and Harry, I know you want to be that thing, but it's not, man. He just wants to be with the people he loves that he misses. Mm-hmm. You're right. And mm. even um, nearly has, or nearly had Liz Nick says, you know, part of the reason I'm still here is because I was afraid of death. I did not want to succumb to it. And so, you know, he was kind of um, left lingering. And whereas Sirius, we obviously know, was not afraid of death if he served in the Order of the Phoenix twice. Yeah. And, you know, we see in the movie, which isn't in the book, the last thing he says to Harry is a nice one, James, you know, because he keeps seeing James in Harry. And it's like now he can be with James and Lily again. And that's kind of exactly. Yeah, I I didn't think about him not having anything to stay for. But it's more like where he's going is with the people he's longing for. And he's even searching for James in Harry. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, And it's, it's heartbreaking. You know, Harry loses another parental figure where he was discussing potentially being able to live with him before Dumbledore explains that you can't do that. But, you know, you're thinking, oh, maybe he can live together. It's really sad. Well, and doesn't your heart break, too, for Lupin? Because now he's lost two, well, three, because Wormtail's gone to Voldemort. He's but, a like, Basically all yeah. of his best friends. Yeah, and then he's holding Harry back to not let him chase into the veil as well. I mean, that scene just breaks my heart. Yeah, and yeah, they, they mute the sound. It, it's 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 brutal, yeah, for Lupin, too, because yeah, all of his, his main you know friends from school are gone, too. And it's heavy, but I think the heaviest thing that... This is probably the dirtiest thing JK's ever done is giving us the mirror at the end of yes. the movie or the book. Do you want to kind of go on to that? Yes. And I'm so sad because it's not in the book or in the movie, in the excuse movie, me. Right. But yes. And I almost question like, is it in this one? But yes. Um, so when they go home or when they go to Grimwald Place for Christmas, um, Sirius gives him a package and Harry doesn't open it because he's angsty mm-hmm. and puts it in his trunk. And he's, a. Uh, um, anyway, fast forward, he's packing up for the end of term, getting ready to get back on the Hogwarts Express, and he finds the package. And he opens it up, and it's a two-way, or two-way mirror mm-hmm. from um, with a note from Sirius saying, if you call my name, I will come. You know, you can always communicate with me through this way. And it was basically a safe way for him to communicate with Sirius, where they didn't have to worry about, you know, Umbridge swiping through the flu powder, trying to get his head in the fire, and other, you know, Hedwig getting attacked. The letters, um, yeah. His mail read. To Padfoot. Yeah, I mean, a, a huge part of this book and this movie was the difficulty in getting information in and out of Hogwarts about what Harry's seeing, getting advice from the Order, and just knowing that the whole time since Christmas he had this mirror and they could have avoided getting captured by Umbridge, all of it. And it's like, one, man, what a hassle you could have saved if you opened it. So he feels guilty, but two, he calls into it to try to... like. He's going to be there and he's just not. It's it's like she Gone, twists man. the knife with Sirius in the book in a way that the movie really didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I'm, I'm glad they still introduce it because it does come to play later on. But yes, they they really, um, you know, he's looking for so many ways for Sirius to still be there. And they kind of permanently. I mean, she puts in all the nails in the coffin. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I said that maybe Goblet of Fire was the Empire Strikes Back. It is not. It is this one. <laughs> this, this is the dark, Empire dude. Strikes Back. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's rough. 
Um, but I think I really enjoyed it, the book, the movie, specifically the book because there's so much meat on the bone. But the movie is a really strong uh, one as well. I, I hold it pretty highly up there. You guys have convinced me. I'm going to start, but okay. That's it, Normies. Let's go ahead and jump then to our final thoughts. We'll give our uh, final opinions here on the Order of Phoenix, only on here on Normies Like Us. Normies, we're back. Here on Normies Like Us, talking Order of the Phoenix. We just took the port key. We're back in Dumbledore's office. Thank you very much. And we've been talking about Allie's favorite book here, and we've been very happy that you're here with us as well, Allie. Before we get into your final thoughts, I want to throw it to you. But, uh, you know, we we had done the call on a past podcast to say, hey, you know, these are our feelings about what J.K. Rowling said. We'll reiterate it here again. We think trans women are women. We think all trans people are people um and in every type of person on the planet there's absolutely zero bigotry and hatred allowed on this podcast uh, otherwise you guys would not let me on it thank you very much for letting me do it but ali <laughs> you answered that call when i said what would be some good organizations to donate to and reached out to me and you gave me some great names jacob had mentioned mermaids before a really cool organization but i'm going to read the list you sent me here real quick and normie listeners all I would say is, at this point, we've reached the holiday season. Like, if you're if you're mm-hmm. looking for a place to give, if you're looking for a time, a moment right now, you know, trans people, if you look at the statistics, they go through the most violence, um, hatred, bigotry. They have the highest suicide rates. This this truly would be a good thing to give towards, especially here in 2020 when when things are just so absolutely rough. So some great places. Like the Trevor Project, um, GLSEN, Human Rights Campaign, GLAD, or Fenway Health. Uh, Allie, th- thank you so much for putting that list together for us. Normies, please, we urge you, if you thought to, uh, go ahead and donate. I think I will as well. Yeah, it's the season of giving, and this year especially, it's it's the perfect time um, and the perfect cause. So, Please. And if I can add to, there's um, a really great resource for all LGBTQ people. If you have trouble discussing this with your healthcare provider, there's something called the Q card. You can get this online for pretty inexpensive, but it basically is a um, the size of a business card. It folds out and it, it um, includes, you know, what is your sexual orientation? What is your gender identity? What are your pronouns? What is your name? And so this is a nice card that you can keep and give to your healthcare provider to let them know that these things, uh, because they're important to your health, but also not feel like you have to come out to your healthcare provider. So again, it's called the Q card and they also have some great resources on their website. Amazing. Truly amazing. Allie, thank you so much. You're just a wealth of knowledge on all facets and subjects. Um, (laughs) yeah, I just, I, we really appreciate that. So please give us your final thoughts. (laughs) Yeah. I'm always saying, Unfortunately, we're not going to have people back on for the rest of this uh, uh, Potter Vember December that we're, we're doing the, here. The final stretch, almost. Yeah. yeah, we are, Mike. We're we're coming up to the end here. So anything you want to talk about? If you want to go back to the first ones, I was having some flashbacks and memories again. You know, Allie, you're my stepsister. 
We met on uh, at a screening, Mike, you'll love this, in 1999 <laughs> of Phantom Menace. Yes. That is where we were mm-hmm. introduced oh, to each go. other. So you know, yes. I was just thinking 2001, Sorcerer's Stone, there's no way we didn't see every one of these movies together. So this, this is a I'm franchise. I'm sure we saw... Absolutely. We had to see at least the first few together. Up to like, maybe up to this moment, maybe up to five, you know, when we're getting angsty teenagers, probably not the last ones. But I've got so many good memories of Harry Potter associated (laughs) with you. I'm just so happy to have you on this. So just give everybody your final thoughts. Well, thank you. Again, big fan of the podcast. So thank you both for having me on. I know a little biased because Colin is my stepbrother (laughs) and he's wonderful. But you're twisting our arm. um, I hope. Yes. I hope I've um, converted some people too, because again, this book gets a lot of flack and this, uh, but it is so integral to the continued story and the final matchup between Harry and Voldemort. And I just think it's just um, so intricate and so wonderful, even though it is very depressing as we've already gone through. I swear I'm not mm-hmm. like a depressed person normally. <laughs> um, I just, you know, the it's really interesting seeing the dynamic between education and the government stepping into um, and just the, you know, and basically who doesn't love uniting against a common enemy with Umbridge, too? She is just such a fantastic villain and she hides behind bureaucracy and red tape, which if you... Um, knew more about me you'd find that hilarious that i enjoy that so much but anyway um it's a it's just a great book and um you really get to get the final answer as to why is harry the chosen one why is it him against dumbledore and um you do get that final solidification about why does he go back to the dursleys every year and why was it his mother's love that really uh, protected him because uh, you know um Dumbledore collectively put that spell and so that it's intact wherever um, his mother's bloodline is. So it's it's important for that. Yeah, we really kind of get a lot of answers. And the beam is kind of, like we said, focusing towards the final confrontation and stuff. We got a couple more books here. But yeah, uh, I'll just jump in here and give my final thoughts. This is, I think, a good book. It's a bit downer. You know, it, it's long. But uh, having never read it or experienced it in text form, I, I think it was great. The movie is... One of the shortest. Um, it's fairly rushed, but I think it's pretty good at capturing the general sense of the plot and with Umbridge and everything. Um, and I need to mention, um, this is a great McGonagall book. Um, you know, we didn't talk about it, but, you know, I did miss seeing her stand up to Umbridge. She tells Harry totally. to keep his head down, but then she's like, do you need a cough drop? You know, when yes. Umbridge is it's like, I, I miss that scene uh, from the film version. But yeah, she's wonderful in this. Um, overall, Order of the Phoenix. They're just trying to do, you know, stop Voldemort, try to do what's good. Also, like we said, you can join our Order of the Phoenix and do some good and give to some of those causes mentioned earlier. Colin, what Please. are your thoughts on this? Um, you know, Mike, this, uh, this I said up top, it, it's not my favorite one. So much good stuff happens in this one. And I think when a lot of normie people think about the Harry Potter franchise, they think of Umbridge. Like, they, they kind of think of what this film looks like. There's the heavy blue filter. I loved the opening of this film. You know, him on the soccer field, the bright lights and stuff. The minute the Dementors show up, blue filter for the rest of the movie. You know, it really sets the tone and look of the film. Um, we talked about David Yates. There's going to be a David Yates problem going forward for the rest of them. Maybe that's why I just feel like this one doesn't feel as distinct as the others, because it really doesn't have a good hand guiding it. But maybe this is also the point where, again, I kind of brought up before, the hand guiding it is Warner Brothers saying, like, 
look, we're going to bring this ship home and we're going to bring it home with a boatload of money. I mean, this made close to $950 million. This was the one that almost broke a billion dollars for the Harry Potter franchise. That would have been astounding at the time that it was released. Um, I mean, yeah, it's not losing steam. I'm happy. Mike, a check-in. You know, are, are you, you... You read the book! You read the motherfucking mm-hmm. book for this one, and you never have before. Like, you gotta be loving Harry Potter right now. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying I, my weekly watches where I sit down and do these. I'm texting people the entire time. I'm laughing. Like, I'm waiting. I'm like, where is my Harry Potter crew? I gotta check in with my crew. Um, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm having a great time just doing this. Yeah, I've, I've really been enjoying it. Like I said, never read it. I've totally sucked into the universe. Again, I'm separating the art from the artist. I love the Harry Potter universe in the books, and it's, it's very fun to explore this world. And again, I'm, I'm going to be attempting to listen to all the books that I have not read. You're gonna keep going to keep going forward for these. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm locked Allie, in. Allie, where are you at right now? So you're, you're done with this one. Are you continuing to read on as well? Yeah, I, again, so I typically read them about every couple of years. So I'm done with five now. I am going to admit, I'm going to excuse myself and because I've got a couple books from friends that I borrowed so that I need uh-huh. to probably get reading and give back to them. Um, but I do plan on absolutely continuing on with the sixth and seventh. And then what I have been doing is after I watch the book or read the book, excuse me, then I watch the film. So I've been, you know, going along with Amazing. the journey. And do you, do you yeah, recommend the Stephen Fry audiobooks or those kind of good experiences for people? If, if you're just not a voracious reader, can you at least throw on a chapter before bed? Oh, I guess I love the audiobooks. I actually did the audiobook of Sorcerer's Stone when I was moving from Florida to Ohio because that was a long drive. Um, oh, that so, would be, yeah, yeah, that I would think... be good for a car ride. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, I think it's great. And the, oh, I can't remember who the narrator is, but he's fantastic. What's his name? British comedian Stephen Fry. He's uh, he's Thank like you. a satirist. People might know him from V for Vendetta. Normies was kind of like the mm. biggest film role he ever got. Gotcha. Well, I was shout out. I actually listened to a, a YouTube uh, streamer who reads the books and does a lot of the voices. The channel's called Sidecar Stories. He does it live on Twitch and stuff. He's gone through all the Harry Potter books. So oh, I amazing. just found that. Not the official release, but he does great voices. It, hey, it's big very entertaining. And That's a cool little, way to do that, um, Mike. Yeah, non-standardized listen, but it, it was very fun. So Sidecar Stories, check that out as well if, if you'd like. All right, Sidecar Stories. Well, that's been our final thoughts. I don't think we got anything more to say about the Order of Phoenix, so we are going to jump in the flu powder here. But uh, we'll – oh, hold on. Something is popping out of the fireplace. Oh. I am seeing a head form. It does look like Jacob here. We're going to throw it over to a Cobb's Corner. Let's get those final thoughts right now, Jacob. Hey, guys. Jacatrix Lestrange here. Um, I was locked up in Azkaban, uh, but luckily there was some kind of big explosion, and I was able to get out. So uh, I'm joining you guys now. Uh, free, a free, A free wizard once again, and I'm ready to talk about Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Um, so overall I do, I like this book a lot and what I like about the movie is what's in there from the book. But once again, I think like Goblet of Fire, the movie due to being a movie, uh, needs to cut a lot out. And overall I felt like this film was very rushed. A lot of stuff was cut out just like the last movie. And so I find it a disappointing adaptation in a lot of ways. Although what I thought is in there is good. 
Um, and there are some changes I don't like also that I can get into very quickly. Um, I'll start with the good. What I like about this movie, number one, you get more serious. Finally, more serious Black, my favorite character in the Harry Potter universe. Uh, after the last movie where he's barely in it, other than one fireplace conversation, um, it's good to see him again in person, even if it's somewhat brief. Um, I also like Luna Lovegood. I think she's a great character. And Harry has some great moments with her in this movie. And I love Bellatrix Lestrange. And Helena Bonham Carter is the perfect casting for her. I really couldn't imagine anyone else doing a better job than good old HBC. Um, So another thing I really liked about this movie was seeing the inside of the Ministry of Magic, um, seeing more of the wizarding world. That was really cool. Um, I think the occlumency stuff with Snape and Harry is really cool. All the flashback vision stuff that Harry has throughout the movie with Voldemort is really well done. I like how that's shot and everything. Um, And just seeing like the quick little flashes of Harry's memory, I think that's really well done. And then of course, seeing Snape's memory and Harry kind of getting a reality check about his, his dad. Um, You know, obviously he's been told since he was, you know, younger that his dad is like this great guy and everything. Um, When really he kind of gets a reality check and finds out that his dad was kind of a bully and bullied Snape in school. Um, so that's fun to see. That's kind of a, you know, turning it on his head where, you know, he kind of idolizes dad. Um, so I like that a lot. And then finally, the best part of this movie, I feel like is the finale. Once they go to the ministry of magic, the, uh, department of of mysteries, um, while it's a little bit different than in the book, I mean, it does get expanded more in the book. Um, I thought the finale was well done. And then of course the big duel between Dumbledore and Voldemort. I thought that was really well done and pretty epic, really. And I was pretty much like, I just thought that was really cool. Um, Dumbledore being the one, the one wizard that Voldemort was ever scared of. And the book does go into that deeper as well, obviously. Um, So yeah, I know you guys talked a lot about the book and everything with Mike having read the book. And I am a big fan of the book. Um, To me, it's kind of like the downer year for Harry where everything just kind of goes wrong for him. And it's not the magical world that he once knew because of Umbridge and everything that's going on with the ministry kind of defaming him. And what I think is really interesting is this movie, it's all, it's, it's fake news, right? The ministry is putting out fake news that Voldemort's not back, everything's fine. And it kind of mirrors you know, real life events in a lot of ways. So that I find very interesting. Um, But let me get into a little bit of what I don't like about the movie adaptation. Um, Like I said, similar to Goblet of Fire, it just cuts out a lot of stuff that gave the book a lot of flavor, expanding the world building and that kind of thing. Um, Especially in the beginning with the, with Grimald Place, I believe. Um, Sirius Black's uh, family home. There's a lot more of that in the book, as well as also when Mr. Weasley is attacked by the snake. Um, He ends up in the hospital, and Harry and Ron and Hermione all go to visit him in the hospital, and there's a nice little scene in the book where they actually run into 
Gilderoy Lockhart from Chamber of Secrets, and we find that he's still, you know, he obviously had his memory wiped, so he's in the, you know, the mental ward or something. And then we also see Neville visiting his parents, right? And um, that's really cool, and that's really well done. Obviously, in the last book they touch on it, in the last movie, um, Barty Crouch Jr. being part of the group of Death Eaters that tortured uh, Neville's parents, but now also in this movie we find out that Bellatrix Lestrange was also there, which, you know, she was introduced in the book in Goblet of Fire, but didn't appear until now. Um, But that's really well done. Um, Let's see. But overall, I just felt like a lot of stuff was rushed. Like they had to hit certain beats in the movie and then just move on. They can't, don't have any time to dwell on anything, don't have time to expand on anything. So it just overall, this whole movie just feels very rushed, even though it's obviously over two hours. It's, I think, one of the, if not the shortest movie, it's one of the shortest movies, which is strange because I feel like this movie easily could have been three hours and they could have gave more context to some of the stuff. Um, like Dumbledore's army and the prophecy stuff at the end obviously gets explained a lot better in the books. And then we also have, I don't know if it's this book that it's touched on, but the prophecy um, goes into how Harry and Neville Longbottom were both could have been the one that the prophecy was about, but because Voldemort chose the Potters, it ended up being Harry. But I think that we'll get into later with, uh, the Deathly Hollows, but Neville could have easily been the boy who lived instead of Harry. And I think that's very interesting. Um, and it gets more into the the old magic, the love that Harry's mother has for him that protects him. Um, and the worst thing I think about this movie too is, uh, well, a couple things. So Harry's love interests, right? First we have Cho Chang, gets very done badly by this movie compared to the books. Um, not that she's a great character in the books either, but she gets a little more, you know, room to do things. In this movie, she's just there to be like, look pretty, and Harry's, you know, in love with her, but she doesn't really talk very much. So I would like to see more of her character. I remember in the book, she was just very sad and crying because Cedric Diggory died, and Harry kind of isn't into it because she's just crying too much, um, which is kind of, you know, not very nice by Harry to not be into someone because they're sad. But the other love interest of Harry's life, obviously being Ginny Weasley, Ron's little sister, I think it's very interesting that she, in this movie, barely gets any lines, gets no kind of personality or character to her own. She does a little bit later, you know, in these next three movies but in this one it's just very strange to think that this is you know the future mrs harry potter and she's barely at all a character in this book uh, in this movie which is strange again because they do expand on some of the some of harry's classmates and they become more of the you're getting the more secondary characters neville luna fred and george and Ginny. but out of all of those Ginny gets the least to do in this movie and I just think it's very strange that Luna Lovegood has more one-on-one interactions with Harry than Ginny does um, and that Cho Chang does. So a little strange there. Um, I would like to see more from Ginny Weasley. You know, what leads Harry to 
begin to develop feelings for her. Why, you know, in the book, she's this like really cool, like independent character that like has her own strengths and is her own person outside of Harry's relationship to her in the movie. She just feels like such a non-factor. Um, so that's a big criticism I have with the movie. Um, but overall, obviously Dolores Umbridge, great casting there as well. She's a great character in that she's the worst and I hate her, but that you're supposed to hate her obviously. And so very well written character in that way. Overall, this is definitely on the lower end of the movies for me because they just kind of take out so much of what makes the book great, but I still like it. I still like what's on screen from the books and there are things that are well done. I would like to see more. I wish there was a three and a half hour director's cut and I think that would greatly improve the movie. Um, So I'm looking forward to next week and getting more into the end game of Harry Potter. Things are getting real serious now. Um, Oh, and I wanted to touch on Sirius's death. So obviously a very sad moment. This is another hero father figure to Harry that he loses. And this is a reoccurring theme of Harry losing all of his parental and father figures, role models. But I just really remember being very emotional by Sirius's death once when I first read it in the book. And it's well done in the movie, but I think it's, it is it is interesting that it's a little bit different in the movies where they, you know, Bellatrix, it's still Bellatrix Lestrange, his cousin actually, that kills him. But... In the book, she kind of just uses some... It's not Avada Kedavra in the books. It's some other curse. And then he just kind of falls through that archway and just dies. And it's almost just like so sudden that Harry doesn't even believe that it's real. And that was such a striking moment. In the movie, it's similar, but she does use Avada Kedavra, which kind of takes the point of the archway away. So they didn't even really need the archway. but So that it, it didn't need to be Avada Kedavra in the movies but I guess they just wanted to simplify it so people would understand that he's dead. Um, but yeah, very sad moment. Love Sirius as a character, so it just hurts to see him go like that and really makes you hate Bellatrix Lestrange, obviously, so it makes a great villain. She's really becomes the biggest secondary villain as like Voldemort's you know, number one assistant um, and kind of shows you the difference between Lucius Malfoy, who's kind of just this sycophant whereas bellatrix is actually like more powerful on her own um than most of the death eaters so again i want to wrap up um and say that you know other than probably the first two which are probably my least favorite this is probably my least favorite movie but as far as books go it's it's a great book um and i'm excited to talk to you guys next week about harry potter and the half-blood prince um all right Jacatrix Lestrange signing off. I'm going to go join the other Death Eaters and we're going to do some evil wizard stuff. Bye bye. Ooh, hot, hot take coming out of the fireplace from Jacob there. We appreciate that, buddy. Um, ooh, Order of the Phoenix. Uh, all right. Well, that's been our, our podcast here. Normies, again, follow along. We've had some listeners write in and say, wow, we love what you're doing. We love hearing that. You can tell us you don't like it too. Give us those hot takes and opinions on Harry Potter. Allie defended this one. She said it's her favorite. She said it's a hot take to not like it. 
let us know why you wouldn't like Order of the Phoenix. Um, we, we would kind of be shocked and surprised. But you can reach us on all that stuff at normies underscore like underscore us on social media. Let us know in a couple weeks some podcasts to do. We're not doing that now. We're doing these Harry Potter ones for a couple more months. we got a couple more books to go out, Mike. But uh, they'll, they can let us know at some point here. Yeah. And, of course, we've been your hosts. This is um, Colin Doldor. Mike Gunnigal. Special guest. And Allie Shacklebolt signing out. Uh, thank you guys thank again Thank you, so, Allie. So much. Thank you, Normies. Bye. Thanks, Normies. Expecto podcastum. Oh, hell yeah. This is Aquaman, and if you enjoyed that episode, I'd really appreciate it if you give it a like, share, and subscribe on iTunes, and you'd really be one of my man if you share with a friend. We'll be seeing you around.